0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Today, we are in for a special one. I get asked all the time, George, can you share your story? What's your whole story? And I realize that I'm horrible at like hitting record and going from beginning to end of my whole story, but what I love is I love being interviewed by other people and getting a different perspective of how I got here, some of the lessons I learned. And my dear friend, Joe Graham, an incredible human being, you need to check out him, check out his podcast. He gave me the gift of coming on his podcast and he interviewed me. And we got into things that I haven't talked about in a long time, how I created my success, how I got the most customer love, how I figured out relationships for the secret, how I wanted them, but I was pushing them away, plus a ton of other stuff. And we kind of pull back the curtain in this episode. So I wanted to give you a special episode where somebody is interviewing me on our show because the interview was incredible. So without further ado, I'm gonna shut my mouth. So let's get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Welcome back to the 150K
1: Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Graham, where we help you take your dreams to six figures and beyond. Today, I have a special episode with George Bryant. If you follow my podcast, you've heard him mentioned multiple times. He's a New York Times bestselling author, customer journey expert, but most of all, genuine, caring human being. George, I've been to your event. I've been in your sphere for probably about six months now, actually about nine, actually had my time frame off there a little bit, but welcome to the show, my friend
0: stoked we're coming up on a year because it was spring it was spring so i was like the snow was melting in my hometown when i met you and we're getting back there soon so yeah I love it, it was
1: may i think it was
0: like it first was, part may, of was may was it yeah god i don't i can't even tell you what day week month it is now it's, a, it's all blends it all blends but it was great and thanks for having me i'm stoked to be here man
1: yeah I appreciate you. So when I mentioned that I've had a lot of people from the event on. I've had a lot of your friends have been on the podcast. Some of the episodes have been released some have not. but for people that don't know you, can you just give them like a shortened version of who you are, what you do
0: yeah yeah i'm uh, I'm like a walking case study of learning through trial error, failure, success, and overly confident and tenacious that I can figure everything out and I put hearts and human beings over everything else. That's the fastest summary, but I'll say I'd call myself a renaissance mistake maker where I've just tried everything. So I've learned what not to do. And now I spend my life helping people do the right things for the right reasons. And so was a food blogger, like you mentioned, I was a New York Times bestselling author. I'm sure we'll unpack some of that. Uh, but in that world, you know, I, I didn't come up in the digital marketing world. I came up in the Marine Corps you know, I was a uh, 17 years old. I was gone to war in the Marine Corps. And so entrepreneurship happened by accident. You know, one of one of my favorite things to tell people is I'm only successful because I'm stupid. It's my favorite thing to say. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you got to remember that, you know, most of the people I'm competing against or was at the time were like degrees and business degrees and this and that and marketing certain classes and book. And I'm like, I pulled the trigger for a living and then they were going to medically separate me and I was afraid I was going to be poor. And I was cooking as a hobby. And I was like, I wonder if I can make money doing this. And I didn't have a choice because it was survival. And so it was do everything myself, sprint as hard as possible, try everything. If it doesn't work, trim it. If it does work, keep it, invest in more. And I spent four or five years OJTing myself to a multimillionaire, a food blogger, everything. But in the process, I also burnt a lot of bridges because I didn't know things and I didn't understand the value of relationships and, you know, consent and marketing. And so I made a lot of money, but I also made a lot of enemies and made a lot of pain. And I made a lot of holes in the fence that even if I pulled the nail out, it was still there. And it came to a point where as I started to grow and understand life and my family and healing my trauma, I was like, fuck, I love people over everything. And I didn't make people feel that way. And that's not okay. And so then I changed the tune. I turned the Titanic on a dime and I was like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to make sure that no matter what everybody matters, regardless of what I get or what they get and prioritize it. And luckily I learned how to have success by doing it the wrong way. So replicating success by doing it the right way going to sound really counterintuitive was a lot harder, but easier at the same time. Cause it's a longer road. It's, it's more investment and patience because it's about alignment and it's a long-term gain versus like a short-term payoff. But then I basically turned the Titanic and realized that, you know, you talk about an easy path to six figures, seven figures, eight figures. I've been there. I get there all the time. But one of the things that I realized in my journey, it was very lonely and most of the industry. And I was guilty of this isn't about the human. It's more about the transaction. And it's like, I watch people hit six figures, seven figures, eight figures, have exits, make more money than they've ever had and be more depressed than they've ever done. Cause it doesn't feel in alignment. It doesn't feel like who they are. And in my opinion, it's disconnected from why we do this in the first place. Cause I said this the other day, I've yet to see a headstone with somebody's bank balance on it. Right? Like I just, yeah. I haven't like, there's no, There's no living will and asset collection on your thing. Like, I don't care what it is. And so I realized that I could be different and I couldn't really teach or coach or lead different because I'm still learning. But I was like, I can show different and help people show different. And so my whole stake was, I'm going to do this different. I'm going to value people, their results, their trust, their safety over everything else. And I have a belief in me that if I do that long enough and passionate enough and with enough vigor that it's going to work. And and people told me I was fucking crazy. Like these companies that are like, wait, you want us to pay you that amount of money to stop hard selling our customers, to give them more stuff for free, to help them and to lose more money on the front for something we might not make back down the road. And you can't tell me it's going to work until we do it for six months and potentially lose everything. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, I guarantee it. And I, I had no fucking, I had no business guaranteeing it whatsoever, but in my heart and in my soul, I'd experience it. And I really, truly, genuinely believe that if you treat humanity the right way, there's zero way to lose that game. And so then my passion became, let me help every single entrepreneur that I find, regardless of revenue, regardless of background, regardless of experience, as long as you have one thing in common, that you are genuinely concerned or excited about helping the people that you help actually achieve the results and not selling them lip service. And if I have that, the world is untouchable for you and it's just a matter of time. And so with that, I realized that my specialties were email marketing, customer journey, and the entrepreneur itself. So instead of always looking at the race or the game or the Olympic sport, Looking at the person that's competing in it and helping them realize that regardless of the field, regardless of the competition, they're guaranteed to win if they play a certain way, which is what I spend all my time doing now. So I don't know. Is that a good explanation? You know me. Yeah, no, no,
1: that's I love that because like really my first impression of you was you were genuine. You were real. like I read people for a living. I get paid to read people for a living. That's my job. And you were 100% real. And every time I see you, you show up 100% real. So I commend you for that. I do want to go back because you gave a lot of really good points. First, I think, and this I find this in the sales world a lot, people start out thinking, I want to make money. I want to make money. And they (laughs) do it wrong. Like I did it wrong. You mentioned you did it wrong. And then they get to that stage where, like, okay, I made money, but what's next? And then it's like, well, what are you in it for? And so. What was that transition like for you? Because a lot of people here in that beginning stage that are listening to my show, you know, they're either first time salespeople, entrepreneurs, coaches, they want to make money, but they want to serve their customers, right? How did you make that or what made you make that transition? Where did you hit that point? Oh, well,
0: I hit the bottom. I hit the bottom. You know, Uh, (laughs) my wife was eight months pregnant. Uh, We were three weeks away from bankruptcy. I was quote unquote successful. I was a New York Times bestseller, number one app, millions of fans. Everybody thought it was all together. I was burning about 40, 50 grand a month, miserable, depressed, suicidal. Uh, and then my wife didn't want anything to do with me, didn't want to be close to me, didn't want to touch me. And I was basically losing everything. I was. It felt like I was imploding with my own self-created atomic bomb, but also people realizing that I needed to break. And I was blessed enough to have the right coaches, the right people, the right mentors at the, at the right time that weren't nice to me at all. And Mm -hmm. I mean, at all, like you leave trails of dead bodies behind you, like you do this, you, and I'm like, Oh, and then this wasn't an overnight thing. This was a slow drip decline. And it it was basically the, the peak of my success as a food blogger, like, Number four in the New York Times, 22 weeks in a row, traveling all over the world on news and TV and everything you can, like a list of like a list of everything I thought I wanted. And then from the moment I was at the peak, it was like, I sabotaged it all away, but knowing that it was going to change me for the better without seeing it at the time, like hindsight's 2020, but it was so unaligned and so disgusting. It basically killed me and the world around me. And then I kept trying to survive and hold on to it and hold on to it and hold on to it. And then it broke everything. Like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, like probably some of the most tumultuous years of my life. And so um, the world around me collapsed and the world around me collapsed. And literally all I was left with was people. And there weren't many left. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And I thought I was friends with everybody. Like I thought I cared about everybody. I thought I made people feel important because in my heart and in my mind, all I've ever cared about was connecting with people because of my childhood and because of my past and the disconnection and the trauma. But I didn't realize that my trauma was driving my vehicle and I was doing the opposite of what I had convinced myself of. It's like the cognitive dissonance was so real. It was like I was living in my own Truman Show. And so when it all imploded away, what I was left with was very few people. And the ones that were there were the ones that like I told you, mm-hmm. And you listened and I'm willing to take a chance and let you know that this is what it has to be and how it's going to be different. And so I was presented with a very different circumstance to get there because of the compression with Parkinson's law, my wife's pregnancy, what had happened, all of it together. And it was just by accident that it shifted. Um, like I was already acting different. Like I wanted to treat customers different, but I didn't want any more customers. They want to be a food blogger, but I didn't <laughs> want any of that. And I was blessed with some really important friends, and I will name drop them in a minute, like Jim Quick and Sean Stevenson and Michael Fishman and Drew Canoli and Cynthia Pasquella and God, uh, I, the 22 people in this room, Tucker Max, all friends of mine, Aubrey Marcus. And I broke in that room, and everybody was like, happy and life is great. And I was literally in that room on that day. And I was like, I'm miserable. I'm fucking depressed. I'm suicidal my wife's about to pop. We're about to do this. And I think it was the first time I was ever really drastically, uh, radically honest, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was to be the best way, like radically, radically honest. And nobody acknowledged me. Nobody solved it. Nobody gave me an answer, but I gave myself a permission slip because I was like, fuck, that's really how it is. Jesus. But I was like, well, that's where I am. Okay. Well, at least I acknowledged it. And then We ended up talking about marketing and business, and there were 22 people in the room, and 20 of them asked me for help. I wasn't going to charge for it. I was just going to help. I said, okay, I'll help. Okay, I'll help. Okay, I'll help. Okay, I'll help. I'll help, I'll help, I'll help, and I'll help turned into keynotes and men's health and Adidas and Titleist and everything, and my come from was never I want. It was I help. But you, you,
1: you mentioned something there that I think is very key. You hit rock bottom, which happened. You needed to do that. But then your heart switched from, I want to, I help kind of like, percent. and that was the thing. I like, I'm reading the book to go give it right now. I think you oh, recommended it to what, me.
0: it have been on the podcast. It. We should listen. Bob Berg, amazing human being, both of them. John David, man. Great guys.
1: Yeah. And just when you said that, I think that that was the key. You said, I'm not trying to do anything here. I'm just going to help. And because you aligned yourself right now, all this stuff started
0: to open up. Now I know yeah. it wasn't perfect right then, but no, it's still not perfect. <laughs> But let me, let me, let me, let me hit this real quick because the, the thing that I was lucky enough for is that I was almost so broken that I was like, I'm done. I failed. And I was like, so what am I left? on? like, I'm left with humanity and like who I choose to be. And I'm like, okay. And I always wanted to help people always. And I always try to help people, but I always had this. I was unaware that I had it, but I always had this subconscious agenda running. Right. Mm -hmm. And the agenda was a trauma response because what I was trying to create was safety because of fear, Yep. you know, fear of abandonment, fear of loss, fear of all these things. I had just never been aware enough or connected enough to the collateral damage that happens when that's to come from. And so in that moment, because I was so open, which you'll know, and you know this about me now, like, and for those of you listening, Joe's been in the room with me where I've like diarrhea of the mouth about how I feel. And everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. I'm like, no, that's my truth. And it became a new tool for me of like, in any moment, at any time, if I feel off, I own it to everybody. So I can get back to the point that I was in, in that room, because what that was, was it allowed me to be fully there with who I was and who I'm choosing to be, but unattached to whatever's going to happen. And whatever shows up in that moment is great. Cause I always wanted to help. I just didn't realize it wasn't working. And so, yes, when I did that, I was like, of course, I'll answer your question. Of course, I'll outline your social strategy. Yeah, that's a dumb email. Don't send that. Like, stop. It takes me like two minutes. But because, Joe, I was also so disconnected from myself and so transactional, I failed to ever acknowledge the value that I provided to the world because I lived in scarcity. So everything I offered was scarcity as well. So I was like, why would they ask me for advice? Why are they asking anyway? So it's not even like I thought I could charge money for it. So it's kind of this perfect storm. Of like, well, all I have is my ability to help. So I might as well just go back to being a decent human. That's what I wanted this whole time. And so, yeah, it it went from I need or I want to, I serve, I help. And, and that was where this was born. And you're right. It didn't change overnight, but that was six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will say that it hasn't been a hockey stick up. Like I'm successful. I have everything I need. I'm great but it's been the most pleasurable six years of my life. Like every moment of it, even the challenging times have been amazing because they deepen my connection. They deepen my ethos. They deepen my foundation because my come from is what I choose for it to be. And, you know, when that happened, and I know I'm kind of leading this, but I'm on a little tangent, so I'm going to, and I know you don't mind. when, When that happened, you know, one of the things that I failed to do in this so far with you is acknowledge what I did do right. And when I had that food blog, I remember when I started it, I made myself one rule. And I said, if I'm going to make this, if somebody's going to pay attention to me, I'm going to pay attention to them. And I had a rule from day one that I would respond to every comment, every email, every video, everything. And if anything got in the way of it, I would hire somebody out to do the other stuff so I could do that. And I fast forwarded that all the way up all the way up six years later to having millions of fans. And I never stopped doing that. And I still did it. So even when I was miserable and depressed and not selling stuff and running the business into the ground, I was still showing up every day to comment and to respond. And it's funny is because then everything started to break. And I walked away from that company and I was like, these people are going to be stoked. I'm done like, come on. Like I'm a disconnected on video. I'm like a narcissistic prick. I'm like gaslighting the industry. Cause I'm built on trauma. And that didn't happen. I made a video and I told them why I was walking away and why I was giving the company away and why I was doing what it was doing. And the new world of me started by all the people that followed me over that never wanna be an entrepreneur and still to this day are not entrepreneurs and they still follow me to the T because I prioritized people in the beginning. And so I always wanted people, Joe. I just didn't realize that I was the one preventing myself from getting to people. Mm-hmm. And so when all of that came to fruition, I was like, well, I'm not going to do this any different. And I was like, but what if all I do is this? What if all I do is just connect with people? And I don't want to say right my wrongs, but really live from the place that I wanted to live from now that I see how to do it. And that's kind of was my ethos. And it's crazy because, you know, for everyone's like, oh, you know, I don't know how to do it. I'm fucking mean either, Me neither. But the most beautiful thing happened. and This was like a math game. I meet 100 people and I try to help 100 people. Somehow I really genuinely help those 100 people, and 50 of them find a way to introduce me to other people or pay me for something I didn't know they were going to pay me for. And then I'm like, stop, I don't want your money. I wanted to help you. And then I was like, I won't take it. And then it chases me down even more. And then it gets even worse. And like, I haven't changed any of that still to this day. Like, you and I will tell this story, or you can tell the story about how we met. Um, But that was it. So yes, it's a 1,000% that like, at the end of the day, the, the, the analogy or the metaphor that I give every entrepreneur is that imagine you own a retail store, like a retail shop, storefront, downtown. I don't care what you sell. Pick whatever your favorite fucking item is. Pick it. I don't care if you sell computers, dog shoes, cat toys, or paintings. I don't care. But then I want you to imagine that you own that store and your store and the success of your store is predicated on people coming in conversing, asking questions and buying products. I'm like, cool. Everybody's tracking. I was like, cool. Now I want you to think about how successful you would be as if you stood in the store and there was one rule. You were only allowed to stand at the register. You could not communicate with body language or words. And I would send a hundred people an hour into your store and you let me know how well you do. And you can't Mm -mm. and you can't. Right. And I was like, you know, that less than 10% of people that walk into Apple every day, actually buy a product. The other 90 are window shopping and developing safety and touch points and familiarity to go back and get it. Can you imagine if Apple only let you in the store if you pre-committed to purchase, right? Or like grocery stores or restaurants, or you think about it all the time. And I was like, and what we have to realize that it's the relationship with these people when they're in and before they get in, that determines any possible chance of success. But now flip it. And can you imagine if Apple operated like those annoying fucking carts and shopping malls with hair straighteners that chase you and your (laughs) wife around and your kids and you have to like threaten them with assault? It doesn't work and it would never work. And so, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's easy to forget about when we get wrapped up into strategy and emails and conversions. And what do I write here? And what goes on the page? I'm like, who fucking cares? Where are the people? And how are you talking to them? And how can you talk to more of them? And how can you help them? And then the path kind of lays itself out. So yeah, I would agree. That was a long effing tangent on <laughs> going from I want or I need to I help. And, and I do have a belief, though, that you can't help with I want or I need because it's coming from the egoic assumption that you know what they need. Mm -hmm. to get them there. But the truth is, is that the best products, companies, service providers in the world have an idea of the direction, but dance with the client to create the path. Yeah. And so it's really funny because you can't have it, what you want or need without helping to build the map that would create the success to make it sustainable and get there. But yet people go out and say, I don't want to help, but I want the result. And Mm -hmm. so it's a really interesting thing when you can collapse that down and understand that. That's the only way. And we have zero control. And I'll say this, I've had overnight success where I've launched a product and made a million dollars in a day. I've launched a product and made 100 grand in 10 minutes. I've also, after that, launched a product and made 100 grand in two months. And I'm like, yep. what the fuck, right? And it's not predictable. I don't control the pace. I don't control the speed, but I always constantly control the inputs that allow it the potential to happen. Yeah. Well, and again,
1: you've unloaded a crap ton of really good stuff here.
0: Oh, this would want- be a 28-hour episode if you had to unpack everything I said, but I'm <laughs> yeah. challenging your sales brain right now on like everything that you have to remember. No, it, 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 it's good. I like it. So the thing that's really
1: hopping out to me the most is really the thing that drew me to you again is the relationship with people. Like I do relationship sales. Yeah. I don't do gimmicky sales at all. And that's what I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs and people run into. But you mentioned trauma. You mentioned it a couple of times. And it seems like, and I know I deal with my own and anyone that's in the entrepreneurial world, sales world, that type of stuff has trauma. And I know you said you're at rock bottom and then you started to come out of it. So I know your background a little bit. How did you start dealing with some of the trauma? Because again, you can only shine who you are. And if you don't fix it, It's going to come through to your business. At least that's my idea on it.
0: thousand percent. thousand percent. Yeah. So first, uh, let me just say this. If anybody's listening to this and you think that nobody sees you, you're out of your fucking mind. Everybody sees you, but you. Right. You can stand it like I love sales. I love events. I love people. I'm just like Joe. I read every single human being. He's seen me do it. I love it. Right. You can be standing in a room. From a hundred yards away, and watch two people walk in the door and peg them both in the first ten seconds, their energy, their body language, their posture, their image, how they do. and you can nail quickly exactly what their come from is, and then the moment their words come out, it either matches or doesn't. It's not difficult, right? Like we can see when people are disconnected, we can see when people are agendized. We have all of this, and so the number one piece of advice that I could give about all of this is own it all. Like when in default, own it all. Right. And and this was easy for me. People were like, Hey man, you're, you're kind of being rude. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, oh shit. Right. Most valuable life lesson that a coach ever gave me. One of my personal development teachers, very long time ago, she would challenge me and then I would get defensive and get dug in. And then she's like, okay, and I, I, you've heard me say this. And I was like, she's like, well, you're a purple dinosaur. And I would just get quiet. I'd kind of smile. And I was like, okay, uh, no, I'm not. And she's like, notice your response. And I was like, I, huh and she's like, you didn't get defensive. You didn't project. You didn't increase your voice. Cause it wasn't true. Yep. And I was like, uh-huh. And then she looked at me again, and she's like, so you're kind of a disconnected asshole. And I was like, <laughs> eh, uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's how this game works. Okay, cool. Yeah, so there's a semblance of truth to that based on the fact that I want to yell at you right now. But then there's this beautiful other side of that dance where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I am. Help me understand this more that it mitigates all of it and brings us awareness to how I'm showing up, right? And so every human being has trauma. I do not care. I do not care. We live in a traumatic world where we pretend to blind that it doesn't exist. Birth Mm -hmm is traumatic. Childhoods are traumatic. And by the way, that means if you had two parents who were connected and intimate with you and loving and supportive, there was one time when you were three years old that you shit your pants and they came 20 seconds late that you have a traumatic experience around. It is part of biology. It is part of human nature. The trauma is exacerbated when we live in a society that denies its existence because they want people to be disconnected in lemmings for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so we all have it. So let me just let me just hit that. If you're listening to this and you try to tell me you don't, I'm gonna call bullshit and you should just stop listening right now. Right. Mm-hmm. We have it. Right. And it's just varying degrees. Fuck, I have trauma from getting woken up at 5 a.m. for my son and I love the snuggles, but I was like, I landed from the airport an hour and a half ago this is traumatic for me. I'm <laughs> yeah. old. I need to sleep. I love you. Give me cuddles. And then like now I'll wake up at 5am and I'm like, did I hear something? Oh my God, he's about to come in. I don't want to get up yet. And I have like a trauma response from my five-year-old coming to snuggle with me for all the right reasons. It's there. Yep. It's there. The most beautiful thing that you can do is dance with it and have a relationship with it. Right. And, and one of my teachers, you know, he give me very sound advice when I'm like, hey man, I'm struggling with depression or I'm really anxious and I don't know the answer or I'm like angry. And I'm like, I would always call him say, what do I do? And his response would be simple. Sit with it longer. I'm like, fuck you, sit with it longer. I'm like, my wife just kicked me out and I'm living in a hotel. He's like, cool, sit with it longer. Sit with it longer. And, and basically what he's saying is that there's no way to mitigate the feeling. There just becomes a coexistence. And if you have a response and you want this pull and you're hiding in your business where you're using tasks or work to hide from it, or you're pretending it's not there, all you're really doing is shining a bigger light on it. So number one is acknowledge that it's there. We all have it. And I don't think anybody who acknowledges that they have it is coming from a bad place. Quite frankly, it makes you more trustworthy to me. It makes you more credible. I feel safer with you because I'm like, oh, fuck me too. Can we just get a cup of coffee and not talk about it? Like we can just co-witness each other, right? So you have to acknowledge that it's there. It exists. It lives there. It's great. Number two is that once you acknowledge it's there, when it shows up, you have to love it and you have to play with it. You can't deny its existence. You have to date it. You have to sit with it. You have to explore it. And here's what I found. And I've done every therapy modality you can imagine. And I'm, I'm talking full spectrum of fully medicated, And on a psychiatric ward to fully medicated on plant medicine in the jungle with a shaman. And I mean, I have done all of it from 22 medications to never being on another one and using my breath, silence, darkness, and stillness on some crazy retreats. It's funny. I've probably invested over seven figures in therapy, EMDR, prolonged exposure, cognitive behavior, cold, breath, plant medicine, jungle, stillness, pharmaceuticals, addiction, blah, 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 blah. And if I summarized all of them and came down to what the answers have been, it's that there is no fixing my trauma. There is no healing my trauma. There is an awareness and an acknowledgement that it exists. And then from that place, choosing to do something different in this moment. Yeah. Regardless of how I feel, which means there are a lot of times that I'm triggered. I'm like, I feel like shit. I feel like crawling in a hole. I feel like scarcity. I'm not going to do it. My wife's going to leave me. My event's going to be empty. Nobody likes me. They think I'm crazy. I'm being narcissistic again and disconnected. Shit, I still have to go coach that person from a place of love because that's what I committed to doing. And that's how the game is played because it's a game that you get to show up for over and over and over. And in this one, I believe it comes down to congruent, congruent and intentional reps over and over and over again. And so it's like, Oh, I'm doing it. Okay, cool. Yeah. There it is again. Oh, yep. I'm feeling it. Okay. What am I going to do? Do something different. And that's been the biggest thing for me, right? I've read hundreds of books. I've had the best coaches in the world, like all of them, all of them. And to summarize it all down to what we all talk about. And I've paid copious amounts of money for it's that over and over and over again, acknowledge that we have it when it shows up, be okay with existing with it. Don't try to make it go away. Don't try to disconnect. Don't try to remove it. Exist with it. And then from that place, when it is no longer driving you or hurting you or making your stomach turn or giving you a panic attack, and when you're through the storm is in the moment when you choose how to act differently. Yeah. That's
1: my answer, Joe. Yeah. that's a great answer. And I think that's when you're able to start actually helping other people because you have to own that's your 100%. own shit first. And I think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people get caught up in the, I'm going to act like this person or that person because then they don't have to address what they're dealing with. I've yeah. seen it like multiple, multiple times. So it, yeah, no, I commend you for that. Cause like, I know like some of the stuff you do, I actually follow your coach too, cause he's on Instagram and like that whole sitting with it. Like, that's the hard part <laughs> for me. Like I can walk, you see me do videos walking. You know, oh, I can bro, walk, you walk so all day much. long. I hate sitting still. Like it bugs me to just sit with it. But I have this little park bench, and I set a timer. I start out with one minute, yeah, one, and I got up to eight, yeah, eight minutes, like my max of the sitting. Then I gotta go do the other. But I,
0: yeah, it's just you know, it. you know, you know, it's 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 crazy too. Like you were at the you were at the event, right? For people listening, like one of the first things I do to my my students. One of the first assignments I give them before anything, I don't care about your business. I don't care how broken everything is, how great everything's working. They all get pissed at me for this. Every single one of them. The first thing I make them do is I assign them an hour of boredom practice, an hour, which means no phone, no music, no agenda, no TV. Find a spot where you'll be uninterrupted and sit for an hour. Yeah. And then the whole point is to let it go. I see a bird. Oh, there's a tree up. Oh. There, I'm thinking. Up, oh, stop thinking. What's in front of me? To practice it, right? <clears throat> but we wonder why. And I, by the way, disclaimer: I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. Not a psychologist. I am not warranted to give this advice outside of my own personal opinion. That some people have said, it validated. Do what you want. Okay. Now that that's out of the way, you should do it. Um, we wonder why we can't coexist with who we are. But what we're really saying is that we can't be in a relationship with ourselves. Yeah. Right. I can't sit still for eight minutes is a fucking scary thing to think about. Right. You're like, I can't coexist with the one person that I'm guaranteed to spend the rest of my life with, whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm going to go do something. Right. And that's not a bad thing for us. Like we're a product of an environment of a paradigm that literally rewards disconnection, endless scrolls on social, you know, commercials and television and advertising. Like, the more disconnected from you, yourself are, the more the world wins because that's when you are impressionable and you are the best consumer in the world. Yep. But we also have to realize that we only have us and us and the relationship with us comes down to the practice of flexing that muscle. I don't care if it's a minute a day, three minutes a day, six minutes a day, but I had a monk on my podcast who was in my mastermind, Elp, I love him to pieces. And the favorite thing he ever said to me, now he spent eight years in silence. At a Tibetan monastery. Like, I'm not talking like joke of a monk, like monk, monk, like eight years in fucking silence in a Tibetan wow. monastery. Right. And now he's a hypnotherapist. He said, if you can't take a shit without your phone, you're not living. Mm-hmm. And I oh, was dude, like, it's dude.
1: weird to do, though. It is. No, I
0: realized it.
1: I'm with you. I'm, I realized it's weird to like, I literally had to leave my phone. Then
0: I'm like, well, do I have a <laughs> book? Do I have some? No. Just sit. Yeah, that's just be with me. Like, yeah. And here's what's crazy. We're like, God, I wonder why I'm sick. I wonder why I'm sore. I wonder why I'm tired. I'm like, well, I wonder how many fucking signals your body is throwing at you with your check engine light that you just choose not to pay attention to, Mm -hmm. right? And so when it comes down to it, like the sitting with it, it's not always that you have to sit still, right? There's times that walking, but it's like, hey, if I feel sad, sitting with like, it's okay to be sad. Why am I sad? And then maybe there's not an answer. Maybe the answer is just being in that state because we also live in a world where people have this unrealistic expectation that we're riding fucking unicorns on Rainbow Bright's road around life all the time, or we're pretending that that's the goal, even though there's no perspective and contrast with that being it and it's unattainable. And the faster we recognize that we have to modulate, like I connect with a hundred people a day, like Mm -hmm. every day, there's days that a hundred of them don't respond. And they're the ones that reached out to me. And yep. then there's other days where 100 do and I want nothing to do with any of them because like, I don't have the capacity, but this is the world I made, right? And it's, it's just understanding the dance. But I, I mean, really, Joe, if I it was to summarize it down to the very core of it, like foundationally, it's that no matter where you spend your time, no matter what your job is, whether you're working for somebody else or working for yourself, pursuing your passion, doing something, there's a part of you and like the deepest parts of you that drive you. And that's you, and you're the secret. But yet we live in a world where we want all the answers to come from outside of ourselves. Give me the pill, give me the button, give me the this. And I'm like, well, first off, nobody can because it's your button and you're the only one who can fucking push it, right? And here's where you won't find the answer, consuming their content, asking for their advice, following their guidance, because that's their answer. You need to be connected with you. And I had a good friend of mine say it, he said, when was the last time you were quiet enough to hear God's whispers, mm-hmm. right? And like, I'm spiritual. I wouldn't say I'm religious. I'm spiritual, right? Like I believe in God. Trust me, when you've seen some of the stuff I've seen happen in combat in life, if you're like, yep, I just think God's a woman. It's my personal belief because I met her in a vision. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, true. And I was like, but have you ever had those moments and you do this, right? You go walk a lot. I'm sure you've done walks where you've walked without a phone and you just go walk. Yeah. And then you get pissed. Yeah, yeah. Because then about 30 minutes in, your intuition is flowing and you can't turn off the creativity. You have every best thought of your life and everything else imagining. And then you're like, oh, my God, I got to remember this and blah, blah, blah. And then you try to think about remembering it. And then the stream of consciousness stops, right? Mm -hmm. All you did in that moment was eliminated all the noise and get deeply enough committed into an act that you were aligned and connected to that the only thing that could throw through you was your stream of consciousness to the answer you want. This happens if you're listening to this you've ever gotten a massage. If you don't bring your phone in, it happens to every one of us at about 20, 30 minutes in where the best ideas, clarity, stillness, calmness comes in. And then you're like, I just want this again. Cool. Let me tell you the secret to getting it. Spending more fucking time with yourself yep. because that's the answer. And there's a correlation. And I used to use this example all the time. Go study the greats. You go watch all their interviews, right? You see, those, uh, you see all the videos that are trending, right? Uh, the, the 10 best morning routines of the most successful billionaires, right? The blah, 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 blah. My buddy Hal Elrod wrote The Miracle Morning, right? Like the best book in the world about this, right? You got Robin Sharma doing the 5 a.m. club. You got the Gratitude Journal. You got all of this, right? You look at all of the answers that they give and all of them have one thing in common, alone time. Yep. Alone time. Right. And it's like, cool. So if you want it and you say you want it, practice it and flex the muscle or go back to the trauma answer and acknowledge that you don't want it, but stop lying to yourself that you do want it and you're not willing to do the work because it's work. It's a Mm -hmm. muscle. We are not born where we just get to operate, check a box, and be like a Wally in some fat cart around the planet and live happy. Like, that's not living. We have to do work. We have to sweat. We have to put in effort. We have to put in relationships. We have to put in all of these things for it to become a, a lesson or a result in something in our life. And so it's really just a muscle. Like, it's no different. Like, yeah, of course, you're up to eight minutes. That's incredible, right? But you can do more and you know you can do more. Just like yeah, I just person. have to own it. Yeah, I just have yeah, to own the, it. Do it. And and then the first time everyone's like, I want to go run. I'm like, are you thinking you're a failure? Cause you didn't run a marathon on your first day. No. Right. But did you put a mile in and then the next day and then the next day. And then when you realize that a mile was too easy, did you hold yourself accountable that you should probably do too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know yep. what I mean? Like that's the game. And there's this really interesting, I'd call it a dichotomy almost because we say we can't do it because we don't have the time. Right. And then we, start doing it. And as a result, we start getting results. We fall in love with it. But then the further down we go, the more time is required to achieve the same result. Yep. And like, it's this massive, massive thing, but like you think about the most successful, one of the stories that I love, um, about Richard Branson is, you know, he owns, I think, I think it's 88 or 89 companies, like, like full ownership, like things like that. And he isn't the CEO, but he is basically the advisor who manages all of them. But his life is really, really simple. His assistant, his number two, she talks to every single company every single day. And once a day in the morning for one hour, she runs everything by him. He gives an answer or advice or a thought on each one. It disseminates out. And then he goes and lives the rest of his life. Like in an hour a day to run 89 companies, right? Tony mm-hmm. Robbins does the same thing. And I'm just saying it's as an example. But if you looked at it, you're like, you can't do that. There's no way he has to work 12 hours a day. And I'm like, nope. When you spend that time getting deeply connected to yourself and you understand you, your strengths, your weaknesses, you say no to the things that aren't yours. You say yes to the things that you know, and then you can give answers without wasting time. And then here's the best part. You no longer convince yourself that hustle's the answer because you're right. afraid to acknowledge that you're using it as a reason to hide from the relationship with yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. that's where shit gets fun.
1: Yeah. And you know what I found? I, I've hacked it differently. So I do acupuncture now, right?
0: Oh yeah, They great. have
1: needles in me for an, like 45 minutes. I can't move. I can't do anything. So oh, it, awesome. it's a stillness practice. Same thing, like I'll go percent. get a an massage. And I think the thing that you mentioned here that just made like, is hitting me more and more is we try to find different things to make us look busy because we don't really want to be with ourselves. And I've gotten the most creative ideas for my podcast, for my coaching, for everything when I actually just took time and gave myself space. Yep. But yeah, it's just, it's wild to me that like, I don't know if it for a lot of people they are afraid of it or they just want to be busy
0: because then that way they have an excuse. Well, you know what? The beautiful part is that we don't have to know why, but what's even better and what's really interesting to think about is looking at the perspective of like, has anyone ever taught you how to be in a relationship with yourself? Nope. No, because like you think about it, like from the moment kids are born, when they hit a certain age to start going to the system, it, it falls into this trap of like, and I don't want to be like a history person or anything, but like post-industrial revolution, you go to school, you get an education, you get a job, you work your life away, then we pay you some retirement and you get, you know, point zero 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 one percent of what you generated for us and the people at the top get wealthy. But it's always do more, do more, do more, do more, work out more, own more, buy more do more and consciousness or connection is in the fray now where it's looked as like counterintuitive it's almost looked like the anarchy of like oh my god how dare you teach somebody how to breathe and how dare you get them connected to their body because when you're fat sick and disconnected you're a money generating machine like i joke about this but it's literally the matrix in real life you just don't Mm -hmm. have metal things plugged into the back of your head but it's like hand When you're disconnected, it's in your hand, right? And then when you're sad and you emotionally eat, it's in the food system. And then that food system causes obesity. And then the obesity causes the doctor's appointments, which feeds the pharmaceutical industry. And it's boom, boom, boom. So we're never going to live in a world where you're rewarded by being sovereign and connected. And so I don't get mad as to why people haven't done or to have done or don't know. I'm like, cool. But if you're listening to this and this even resonates, you took the red pill a long time ago. And the secret is really, really simple. And I found, Joe, the hardest part is because of the world that we live in and the paradigms that exist, it feels almost impossible to be that simple mm-hmm. that I just have to sit with myself or I have to date my like. I personally love going to the movies by myself. I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to. Right. I love car rides and silence alone. Like my office is 50 minutes from my house. And then I have an office five minutes from my house. I prefer to come to the further office because I like the silence in the car, right? And I start to do this. My favorite thing, hiking. You know where I live, right? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Love it. I hike Glacier National Park in silence for nine hours. I disappear. Tomorrow, I'm going snowboarding. And all I do is put noise-canceling headphones in with no music. And I put my mask on and I ride the chair and I'm cordial like I'll nod at people, but it's just me on a mountain and a snowboard in silence. And it's all these moments where I get to practice this game And the craziest things happen because I just leave whatever there on the mountain. But then somehow I get off and the next day I have magically have the energy to record 11 podcasts and they're my best things I've ever done, Mm -hmm. right? But then the day before, I'm like, how am I gonna get it done? And I was like, oh, time to fill the gas tank, right? Time to fill the gas tank, time to go. And so I think what's so powerful is that you know, you think about it with anything. It's like just intentionally choosing to do something different. I'm going to intentionally connect with somebody new today. I'm going to ask them a question about how I can serve them, not sell them. I'm going to go take myself on a five minute date. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go sit on the bench and look at the lake for four minutes and see if I can go for eight. I'm going to go do one round of breath work, right? Like any of those additions that we can habit stack with atomic habits, Mm -hmm. all they're doing is deepening our foundation and increasing the capacity of the result that we're going to create in an unmeasurable amount of time from here. But it matters on what we do today. And I love that you have it, Stack. Like I do the same thing. Like I'm going to PT tomorrow. I got dry needling. I got stim. And I'm like, cool. wonder what I'm going to think about today, right? Or, you know, I start doing breath work and then I'll do breath work in the middle of my acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here anyways, right? Like, and this is going to sound, I've never told anybody this, but I'll, I'll fucking tell you, I don't care. My favorite thing to do is breath work while getting a colonic, no joke, no joke. So every three to six months, I get uh, fully flushed out with like colonics or hydro cleanses, right? I do them in Costa Rica when I do plant medicine, but you know, your intestines have lots of room of Mm -hmm. shit that is in there. And I'm like, oh, I took a poop this morning. Then I go get a colonic. I'm like, apparently I didn't, right? And here's the funny thing. And I sit there, it's one of the most vulnerable positions I can be in. There's a tube in my butt. And I'm on a table with warm water flushing me out from the inside. Yeah. And I don't want to play on my phone there. And so I do breath work when I do that. And I have them darken the room. And it is one of the most spiritual things I've ever done in my life. And I do it all the time. My wife laughs at me because she hates them. And I'm like, I'll take them. Give me yours. If you paid, give them to me. I'll go. I'll go. And this is what's nuts. For anybody listening, if you're familiar with psychedelics or plant medicine or anything like that, I am open to all that stuff. I use that stuff. I explore that stuff. But ayahuasca um, pretty much like saved my life. And you know, the active component is DMT. Well, you as a human being naturally have the ability to produce DMT in your pineal gland. Every single mammal on the planet does, which means the molecule that we are drinking to have a profound experience, get connected to consciousness, whatever, is also naturally produced in our body. But It doesn't sit there like you have a go button and you can turn it on. You have to practice. You have to connect with it. You have to do breath work and get connected to your body. I've had more profound experiences, vision experiences, memories with a tube in my butt and doing breath work than I have on some of like the deepest nights of ayahuasca in the jungle. That's wild. So crazy to me. But if you start to look into it, I have friends like one of my friends just got done doing a darkness retreat. Seven days in pitch black. No humans, no lights no nothing, no TV, no music, seven days, silence, stillness in a pitch black room. Wow. And about day three, they were like, I didn't exist anymore. And it's like these experiences around us, you have people that do breath work, holotropic breathing, transformational breath work. And they're literally like 30 minutes after they're done, they're like, I just relived my entire childhood and healed all my wounds and all I was doing was breathing. And I was like, oh, because you were actually producing the chemicals in your body that we've used for so many years, pre-pharmaceutical creation to connect and to live and to move through this stuff. And so, you know, I think, and I'm going to tie this together because it'll piss me off if I don't, we think about entrepreneurs. I think entrepreneurs are one of the hardest, but also most rewarding careers in the world. It is basically giving up certainty. To live in a world where the only path to success is the ultimate belief in yourself, Mm -hmm. your ability to produce, which also means there comes a point where you realize that the most important place that you can spend time is with that relationship with yourself because you are the only reason it works or doesn't. You're the only person that determines the success or not, and you are in one of the scariest industries in the world because it's guaranteed to fail one way or another every single day. And you have to have the tenacity and the grit and the willingness to take that on the chin from a place of responsibility, love yourself through it and then fucking go do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And that's and the it, best way that I describe it.
1: But, it, but that's the funny thing. It's like, I hid from it for a long time in the sales world. Cause I had the overhead covered, but I could run it like my business. And now that I'm doing this, I love this so much more. Like I'm still crushing the sales thing, you know, I'm in that. Yeah that stage and all, but it's just like, I don't know. A lot of people, maybe they would be freaked out about it, but like, I like being in that place where I have to control it.
0: hmm Oh, and I could rip that one to pieces too because you think you control it.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. Rip it there's to pieces. Not, I'm totally fine
0: no, with it. No, <laughs> there's, there's, there, <laughs> like, there's this, like, there are things that you control, right? And, and this is, I think, the most important part for an entrepreneur. The only thing you control is your input, right? Like, in the yeah. world of, You know, engineering, they use a process called SIPOC, right? And it's suppliers, inputs, process, outputs, customers. And, uh, you know, I watch entrepreneurs, I watch people, I watch humans, right? Waste away life and emotional and mental real estate in every ounce of their bandwidth creating panic attacks, anxiety attacks, or all their presence into something that they have zero control over, but yet is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy Mm -hmm. because they're more worried about what's going to happen or not happen. And instead of putting an input that could condition it to something different, they just doomsday it and nothing happens, right? And it's so hard for me because I live in a world where the amount of companies that I own and the things that I do, I could work 24 hours a day and have no moment off. I choose to work two hours a day Mm -hmm. and go spend a lot of time in my life. And it's weird because it's almost unbelievable how effective it is. And I don't believe it to be true most of the time. And I have to like convince myself to think otherwise. I'm like, no, this is working. What are you doing? Stop. It's working. Keep doing it. Right. Like, you don't have to go that. You don't have to go do that. You don't have, I'm like, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Right. But it's really funny because now the reason I do that is like, what do I control? Well, I control recording my podcast. I control setting up calls. I control fulfilling coaching. I control the calls I make to my team members. But what's done with anything after that point has nothing to fucking do with me, right? And like, I had a call with my team yesterday. I'm like, hey, here's what I gave you. This is what we talked about. It didn't fucking happen. I don't have a solution. You're supposed to give me a solution, right? And everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, really? I'm like, what am I going to micromanage them or tell them they're bad and wrong? I'm I'm not firing them, but I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because in that world, they're like, fuck, you're right. Damn it. Shit. You should fire <laughs> me. But instead, here's a solution. And I'm like, cool. Don't let it happen again. It's going to happen again. I do it. No different than my team's like, when are you going to give me that podcast? I'm like, oh, the one I owed you three weeks ago. I don't know when I decided to come back into the country and do my job again. Right. But I don't get mad at them that our show doesn't go up because I didn't give the input. Mm-hmm. But I also have to be very willing to own the fact that all I have is the input. I yeah. can input my day. I can input my breath my food, my nutrition, my water, my movement, my stillness practice, my meditation, all that. And then I can input the ingredients required to stick it into a process and into a business. And even if you're listening to this and you're a solopreneur and you're doing all of it, right? You're doing all of it from recording and posting and editing and calling and blah, 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 blah. Out of everything that you do every day, there's a hundred tasks. Six of them are the only ones that actually move the needle. Mm -hmm. And then that's the game at every single ounce of the day is identifying as Mike McAllens calls it your queen bee role, right? And this book Clockwork and understanding what that is and then being willing to have an integrous relationship with yourself that you're really in control of none of the results and only the inputs. And the more that we can be connected to those inputs and literally give them our all, the more likely success is guaranteed at a faster rate because those are the things that are going to move the needle. And here's a newsflash. It's fucking boring. Yep. It's boring. I say this all the time. Success is boring because it's just a game of inputs and outputs. If I don't record a podcast, it doesn't grow. People don't find me. They don't come into the world. Well, sometimes having a show with three episodes a week when I started or two now can feel daunting. And it's not because I don't love the show. It's because the world around me has me wanting to be distracted and disconnected that I just don't feel like recording a show that day. So I want to find some shiny object to go give my fucking energy to, yep. as I've convinced myself that it's going to have some positive effect. Well, I ignore the thing that generates revenue, right? Like, got it. Cool. Really good thought process. And in my point of my life now, I've got to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I need to go do the podcast, but I start the show with, I don't want to fucking do this today. And here's why. And I'm like, but I know how valuable this is and I'll get there at some point, but let me whine for a minute because I convinced myself it would be better to not do this and to go launch a new business, right? And that's not <laughs> going to support me. No. You know what I mean? And so I think that that's the biggest thing is that, you know, it's, uh, you know, in the world of recovery, when I used to go through 12-step programs, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was you have to make your world as small as possible. Make your world as small as possible, right? These micro commitments, these micro wins. It's easy as an entrepreneur to make your world as big and overwhelming as possible as well. I have 874 things to do in the next 20 minutes or I'm a failure. Well, too bad you never finished them all. And you've been telling yourself that same story every day for yeah. six months yeah. and you still haven't failed. Right. But it's like, what is it that you control? Right. As long as I get to my messages that day, I respond to my team that day. I record a podcast that day. I make my world as small as possible so that I have full autonomy about what I'm doing and the result that I create. And if there isn't one, I can almost 99% of the time tie it into a lack of integrity into my input or just a lack of willingness to give the input to what it needed to do.
1: Yeah. You, again, unloaded a bunch of very great value there. So the things that just like popped out at me first, Right. You're only in control of your input. Success is boring. I've taken your line. If you've listened to any of my stuff, I use it. I give you credit sometimes. Sometimes I don't if I forget to. You don't have to. But the thing that you mentioned was you work two hours a day. In my sales job with what I'm doing, because I know how to shrink time and I know what I need to do successfully boring, I work three to four hours a day. The rest of the time at work, I'm there, but like I've done all my stuff. I know I have it done. Yep. And I think that what you said also was the needle movers are important. Know what you're supposed to do and, and do those. Like I do a podcast, at least one a week, sometimes two. I'm going to do sales calls. I'm going to do the things that are going to move my needle. But I'm not going to. The other thing that I'm learning is I don't have to do everything. I can nope. delegate things that maybe I'm not as good at to like hmm. admin work or stuff that maybe on the back end I could do, but I'm not going to do well. And I think that's knowing yourself and going back to your relationship with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And really the secret to delegation is that the only way to successfully delegate is to have a relationship with yourself because delegation comes down to trust, but it's never trusting the person, it's trusting you.
1: Yeah. no matter being what, authentic. Well, because no you. matter
0: what, there's never going to be another you. Like I had to learn that lesson. I was like, oh, I'm delegating. I'm like, no, I'm expecting them to be a fucking unicorn and have as much passion about my vision as I do. And I'm like, it's not their vision. Right. It's mine. I'd be concerned if somebody who worked for me was more passionate about it than I am. Cause that means I should work for them. Right. Like mm-hmm. these realistic conversations. And so, yeah, when you, when you get down to it, like, you know, I have to, and, and I have to have it simplified. Like my wife is one of my best accountability coaches. She calls me out all the fucking time and she should. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'll come home and like, I had a decent day and I'll be venting about this or some revenue number or some bullshit. Right. And she's like, shut up. And I'm like, what? Huh? <laughs> what? She's like, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, you're really upset about what you have? And she's like, okay, how do you make money? And I'm like, well, I, yeah, no, I know. And she's like, okay, cool. We know the answer. You connect with people. You get on calls. Like, you you help people. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, like, the last time you got on the phone and helped somebody. And I was like, two months ago. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, you're pissed? And I was like, shut up. Stop <laughs> being right all the time. Right? And it's like, cool. And it's like, and I, and I can go back to those moments. Like I, I laugh, like I have students that are like, they want to like build the world and the empire state building in one day. And I was like, you do realize I still don't have a building, but yet I do multiple millions a year by just connecting with human beings and helping them. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's funny because it's so hard because everyone's like, well, you need to be the example. I'm like, I am the fucking example. My website doesn't make me the example. My lack of care of what it looks like doesn't make me the example. My willingness to connect with you when you find it, and to hear your feedback and tell me you think my website sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but my website has nothing to do with my ability to help you. And then we connect anyways is the secret, yep. right? It's just prioritizing what it is. Like at the end of the day, I use my five-year-old as an example all the time. You know, like I convinced myself for years that I was an entrepreneur because I wanted to support my family. No, I was an entrepreneur because I wanted to avoid my family and fucking fill my ego and not be with my family. Because not once have i ever heard my five-year-old say, daddy, please go back to work today. Daddy, please go back to the office. Daddy, I don't want to play with you. Dad, no. All that was bullshit. Me and my business partner, High Speed Daddy, had this conversation. Like, we have a dad company. Mm -hmm. and We're convincing ourselves we're doing this for dads. We were doing this for us. And the moment we started owning that, we started doing it for dads. Yeah. Because then at that point, I have a different compression method of like, God, does this shit really matter? No, that doesn't, but this does. And let me focus on that. And and in that vein, and you said it earlier, like having needle movers and being able to delegate, I'm still gonna bring everybody back to this because my ethos is simple. When you hear my slogan of relationships beats algorithms, right, I use marketing as an example, but I don't think anybody has a marketing business or strategy problem. Everybody has a relationship problem, but themselves, Mm -hmm. their team, and their customers informed in that order. I want you to notice that when I talk about my inputs, all my inputs foundations are always about myself, my breath, my stillness my walking, my meditation, because anything else used before those is just a distraction and never going to be on solid ground. It's going to be the world dictating my results, not me dictating my inputs to then help a result. Right. And so like, yes, in the morning, there's times it's 1 PM. I haven't even opened my phone. I have no idea what messages I have, what emails I have. I don't give a shit. I'm like, that's tomorrow. Like I'm going snowboarding. I won't look at my phone tomorrow. Tomorrow's. Wednesday. I won't look at it till probably Friday morning. I won't open any app until I'm on a plane and I'm bored. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, I'll do that now. I'll do that now. I'll do that now. Right. But it's always about starting with you first. Like you're the athlete, you're the entrepreneur, you're the secret weapon, you're the gold medalist. And so I don't care what your training is or what race you're running, because if you don't know who you are and start from there and get really aligned with what you're doing and why you never had a chance to win that game. Anyways, you're the secret. It's a mental game. It is a Mm -hmm. mental game every single day. And the truth is I avoided the relationship with myself because my own, like my own possibility, like my own potential scared the shit out of me because it carries a very heavy level of responsibility. Yes. And I wasn't willing to own it. But I also wasn't willing to tell people that I was afraid of the responsibility, that I was afraid to have $50,000 a month of salaries to cover. And I didn't think that I could produce it again. And the moment I started dancing with that and sitting with that and owning it, it somehow magically happened. And they're like, well, yeah, you're not supposed to own it. My job is to own that. And I get paid. And I was like, oh yeah, you go do that. Yeah, sure. Whatever you need. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's just a different, (laughs) it's a different conversation, but it always boils down to my willingness to be in that space with myself and have that integrous relationship and go from there. And, And really, in my opinion, like and I'll say this, like I'm really good at selling because I'm not good at selling. Mm-hmm. Like if you ask most people and they listen to most of my calls and you as well, inclu- you've seen me do this. You would think that I am averse to making money. Like most people think I am fucking averse <laughs> to making money. And I was like, no, I don't run a nonprofit. Like this isn't a 501c3. Like I run a profitable business. And I was like, but I do make it genuinely hard to pay me. Mm-hmm. I really, really do. Cause I'm not interested in getting paid. I'm interested in creating a result, and then as a byproduct, you make an investment to do more of it, right? But you get to win first. But all of that boils down with my willingness to sit in it. Like I had a call with my wife right before this call, and like we were talking, spent so we talked all day. And uh, one of my companies that I own, uh, I'm gonna get emotional. I fucking feel it right now. Here it comes. Um, I've known them for ten years, and I've been helping them since day one. Nine and a half years later, I'm offered an equity seat. Nine and a half fucking years. And it lit something in me because I was just there. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm self-taught videographer, photographer. And there was this content problem that like hundred grand, hundred plus grand of videographers. We run a large company. It's an eight figure business, right? And we can't get anything quality. And they basically with the team was convinced it wasn't done. Couldn't be done. So I'm like reinvigorated. I rent equipment, send it to the office. I filmed 22 hours a day, three days in a row. I mean, I really didn't sleep. 900 videos in three days. And I came home, not a lick of tired, super fucking excited, ready to go. And Lindsay's like, Oh, yeah, babe. And I'm like, I just feel seen and acknowledged because I'm seeing myself acknowledged, but here. And she's like, Yeah, this is 10 years of you making deposits Mm -hmm. for potential. And if I told you who my board members were and who it was, you'd be like, Really? I'm like, Yeah, I'm like, I'm the liability in that group, right? Like, I'm the only one that doesn't wear a suit and doesn't have a B next to my name. And like, they're on television shows. And I was like, yep, but I'm the guy with fucking tattoos and a bald head that none of them know I exist, but yet they call me for advice because I've been putting in the fucking reps. Mm -hmm. 10 years later, how can I help? How can I help? How can I help? And we're talking through personal turmoil, professional turmoil. Like these are friends of mine. Like we have intertwined, you know, bits and pieces, but I hadn't taken a moment until earlier today to look back and be like, wow, 10 fucking years. What a gift. Because I love every ounce of it. And here's what's crazy. They could take it back tomorrow. I wouldn't care. I still feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I think that that's a testament to everything that we're talking about. And at, at the end of the day, I look at entrepreneurship as a simple math game. You have the ability to help somebody with something. Your job, your moral obligation is to have as many conversations as possible every day with the least amount of resistance between them to get the most amount of advice to those people to get them the fastest result, whether they fucking pay you or not. Yep. And in my opinion, I could publish that as a fucking book as the blueprint for guaranteed success, except the go-giver kind of hit it pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like my book would be one page.
1: Yeah. But people, people get freaked out because they think there's all these super secrets. And it took me years that's to figure
0: marketing. out It's called marketing. It's called marketing. Of yeah. course it is. Marketing's job is to create scarcity. That's yeah. it. You're a sales guy. I, you don't do this. But most people do. And for all you salespeople listening, you get this. If you're not a salesperson, you're about to get it. Because the world of selling is really, really simple. There are only two things that people are doing. They are either moving away from pain or towards pleasure. Yep. Less than 1%. And I'm making that number up because I think it's fucking less than that. Will actually willingly invest to move towards pleasure. Yep. Very few. Very few. Because now we're intertwining Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all this other stuff. Which means... 99 point something percent of the population that are spending money every day are spending money to avoid pain, Mm -hmm. which means the basis for all marketing, all advertising, all selling has one job to create more pain or awareness of pain in your life, to create misery, to make you uncomfortable enough to give somebody money under the illusion that they can fucking fix you. Yeah. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. That is a scary world that we live in. Of course it is. But we have to know that that's the world because there's ethical ways to do it. Joe does it. I know a lot of people that do it. But there's only one way to start and it's by connecting with people. That's it. Like, that's it. At the end of the day, this is a people game. I've yet to figure out one AI robot that buys products with your fucking credit card. Doesn't happen. Nope. They're not shopping for you. They're not picking out your sizes for you. I don't care how disconnected, how autonomous, how ready player one, how anything... world turns, I guarantee you, because purchasing, buying, selling, and growing are all emotional based decisions, Mm -hmm. that it is the one guaranteed thing that will always remain a human fucking function, which means if you spend all of your time right now, fuck the funnels, the strategies, the tactics, the tools, connecting with the people and meeting them where they are, the path of how to help them will lay itself out. Mm-hmm. And then you spend more time investing at that. And here's a hack. If you're scared, just fucking tell people you're scared. If you don't know, tell them you don't know. The amount of time I get on calls with people, they're like, hey, man, do you think you can help with this? And I was like, fuck, bro, that's a good one. I don't know. Yep. Um. But I think if you give me a shot in the next hour, we can fucking figure it out. And then about 10 minutes in, something clicks. I'm like, hey, remember what I said 10 minutes ago? I'm like, I lied." I was like, because I just figured it out. And he's like, oh, shit, right? But it always starts in this honest, integrous, let's go, right? Joe's seen me do it. Yep. People have asked me questions at the event. And I'm like, oh, I don't have a good answer for that yet. But I think this is where we should go. Or when somebody in the event was like, hey, I lied. Yep. You remember that yep. one? I remember. And I was like, he comes up to me on the break and he's like, I lied. Um, so I didn't really, uh, and I'm like, fuck, Cool. We talked for about a minute. I'm like, go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, break's going to end. And I'm like, I can't continue my event out of integrity. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it just everybody for some context. We did a massive group exercise that's based on integrity. Yep. And it's an incredible thing to witness. We're not going to tell you what it is. You have to come to an event. Yes, um, you do. But it's an incredible thing to witness because it eliminates almost every assumption that people have about how life is lived. And it creates one of the most connected, powerful experiences. And no matter how the exercise goes, There are valuable fucking lessons riddled through it, no matter what the outcome is. Right. And so something happened and there was a lack of integrity. And I'm like, I have no clue how to clean this up. Like, I have no clue. And so I was like, hey, you come back from break. I'm like, hey, come up here. Yep. I remember. And I was like, why don't don't you tell everybody what happened? And I have a different perspective because I'm standing in the room on the stage and I can see everybody's faces. Right. Mm -hmm. And about half the room were gone, triggered, angry. Like I saw rage in people because they thought they played on a team and one of the team members didn't play the same way and they were ready to fight and all of it. And then I gave like a five-minute diatribe. I don't remember a fucking word of it about integrity and how we show up and acknowledging it, but also not making the person feel bad because he yep. just owned it and cleaned it up in one of the yes. like scariest moments of his fucking life. And yeah. I was like, I need to reward this. Like he needs to be seen and witnessed and all of it, right? But like none of that's predictable, but it's all based on integrity. I was like, I don't know what to say. Like you might be feeling this, you might be feeling this, but all of it really boiled down to that authenticity, or there was a book that I read, it was called uh, Radical Honesty. And mm-hmm. that's what really kicked us off many, many, many years ago about like how to really beat addiction and how to live in my integrity. And, and it's something that I still practice because I feel like I live 90% radically honest because there are still times that I doubt myself and I curb the extent of what I want to say or I diminish the impact of how important it is to me because it's a muscle that I'm still working on, right? It's, a, it's mm-hmm. one that, that's flexed and practiced all the time. But I, I think I really don't think there's any way to lose this game if, if it's coming from self-awareness, right? Same thing in the trauma response, like knowing who I am and what's coming up, having integrity and willingness to own it. And then from there, choosing what I want to do with it. And, and that's really like whether it's changing a habit, whether it's dropping something out of the business while it's responding to trauma, while it's uh, referring to what's working, what's not, whether it's a new path to making money. It's, it's always going to come down to those things. It's always going to come down to those things. And and because we're talking about integrity and authenticity, uh, the one note that I want to give everybody, because this was one of the most painful lessons I learned, but it was a part of my journey, is that there's a very big difference between intimacy and authenticity. Okay. And there's the ability when you start getting authentic, quote unquote, um, because just newsflash, if you're telling everybody you're being authentic, you're fucking lying. Yep, okay, 100%. Cool. Now, that, now that we just got that out of the way, because that used to be me, I'm like, well, let me be authentic. And my wife's like, were you lying to me before? Because right? it <laughs> drives, her, drives her nuts. One of my yep. old pet peeves is I'd come up like, okay, can I be honest? And she's like, well, you've been fucking lying to me for nine years. And I was like, oh, I did it again. I did it again, right? These modifiers of like discomfort, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I realized that when I started living this life of radical honesty and authenticity, it was a new drug. Because it's such a pattern interrupting the world that you get rewarded because it's magnetizing and people want more of it. So then the stories start to get deeper. And details that didn't enhance the lesson start Mm -hmm. coming out, which then make it about me and filling my own bucket, not the person I'm serving. Yeah. And so the reason I say that it's about authenticity and intimacy are very, very different is because I can tell you that I grew up in trauma and I was sexually abused and have that be it. You don't need to know the details of why it happened. And the moment I get into the details, I am no longer serving you. I'm serving my insecurity because I'm looking for validation. And the reason I say this is because it's like a tight rope with a unicycle on it and you ride it down the middle and it's a a very fine balance and, and it's one that's practiced. And I'm grateful for the years And if you go listen and Google my name, there's over a thousand podcasts of me and they all started the same way. Well, my name's George. I was, you know, mentally abused. I was here. I was sexually abused nine when I was third. Like I had a script Mm -hmm. and it's funny because everyone's like, you're being authentic. And I was like, actually, I'm being manipulative. Yeah. I was like, because I'm telling you every ounce of what I can control to get you to eat out of the palm of my hand. So you don't have to really know how I feel. And therefore, I'm just disconnected on a whole different level, but just a fucking level of mastery that doesn't serve any of us, right? And so it became this thing. And so I I think it's a huge, huge thing because it's okay to say, hey, I'm scared. You don't have to say why. It's okay to say, oh, this happened to me. You don't have to tell the details. If the details need to come out, they need to come out in the right container, which goes back to the trauma conversation. Yep.
1: You know what I really love about you? And I'm going to throw it out. I'm glad I met you on the authentic side. Because if I had mentioned before, then I probably wouldn't have liked it. And to kind of close the loop, because we had talked about how we met. Oh, Um, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) With this, like I went to this event. It was great. First time I've ever been to an event, never been there before. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be, which is fine. It happened. And George comes in, and I'm like, okay, who's this guy? Because this whole event was set up and it wasn't, it was supposed to be big, and then things happened. Long story short, George comes in, and almost I'm like, this guy's a little bit different. And you were supposed to be there for an hour. And you were there for, I think, six, six and a yep. half, maybe yep. seven. Yep. And I don't really remember a lot of what you said. I just remember that you were genuine. You were caring. And you were 100% not authentic in the, look at me, I'm being authentic. Like, you just poured into a group. And this was a small event. So I'm going to commend you on this. Because a lot of people be like, oh, yeah, I do all these events. And they have like 50, 100, 1,000. There was five people there. And you showed up. Yep. I
0: was the only one.
1: Yep. And that was what made me say, okay, cool. I'm going to connect with you. And now that's opened up to now I've started my business, my podcast, all that stuff. But I needed to see someone genuine in this space because being in sales and having the gift I have, I've had people take that, try to use it against me. And I am all about people. Like if you are about selling and just selling and transactional, I won't get along well with you. So I just wanted to commend you on that. And you can close the loop probably better than I can with it. But that was just kind of
0: my. Yeah, I'll give I'll give I'll give some real context. So this uh, and I'll call it what it was. That event was a fucking shit show. Okay, so that's what it was. Okay, Uh, it was put on by somebody who hasn't dealt with their trauma. Uh, Lots of lies, lots of positioning, lots of manipulation. And I didn't know it at the time. Um, But there were a lot of telltale signs and triggers and like ignoring and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Hey man, I said, yes, seven months ago. I don't know why I wouldn't still be a yes. <laughs> and so it was almost like hard, like, but for the record, I do impose myself. Like i had to almost like go and overextend myself that I come, but I gave my word mm-hmm. and I don't care if there's one 10, a hundred, whatever. Like, I'm like, I gave my word. I want to go serve. And then there became a point where I realized like, I feel like I have an obligation to go to that room regardless. Cause I have no idea what's going on. And you know, when I was there, I was like incredible people, let's go important. But yeah, there were five people. And, and when I was pitched, I was, uh, asked to come speak to a room of a hundred people. Um, this is what it was going to look like. This is who I was speaking with. And then everybody pulled out and then I became a part of the trauma because every other speaker pulled out and that's on them. I don't know. I don't give a fuck. And then, so they just assumed I would, and it ended up being one of the best things ever. I still am connected with every single person that was in that room. Um, and then I got to the room and I was like, these are incredible people. And I was like, oh, I can pour a lot in. And I was like, I feel like it's going to serve the room. And I have no idea. And I was like, but I just don't think I can leave yet. And I was like, I'm just going to keep going. And I just kind of jumped in the driver's seat. And I was like, I'm staying. And I basically took it over. (laughs) Yep. And I was like, (laughs) and and I I got to the point because like I'd blocked it off. My wife and kids knew they had planned a day away. Because when daddy goes to an event, daddy goes. Like, if I go, I go. If I'm going to go, I'm going. I don't want to toe dip. I don't want to go in. Like, I want to go, go. And I was like, I'll go. And it was one of the most rewarding days of my life. But I, I, I secretly love those. Like, I, that happens all the time. Like, I have people like, hey, man, I'd love to have you on my podcast. And I say yes. And like, but are you sure you want to come on? It's my first episode. I'm like, let's fucking go. I said yes. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go. And they're like, yeah, but you're blah, blah. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, I'm a human who gets to make my own decisions. Can you let me make one, please? Like, yeah, I want to go. And then, you know, same thing, like people at events are like, oh, my God, I've taken all your time. I'm like, I'd like to take more of yours. Can you please sit down, shut the fuck up and ask me another question? Or can we keep going? Like, that's the game. Um, you know, and I will say this for my credit. I'm really harsh on, on you, I on who I used to be. You can meet plenty of people that knew me and they're like, we could see your heart the whole time. But we just saw the pain that you were in. Mm-hmm. And it was like the moment it would get close to trigger the walls just went up. Right. Yeah. And I talk about it so matter of factly now that it almost seems a little disconnected from loving myself, but I love myself so much that I can just be really radically honest about it and blunt without the story, but it gives great perspective to be here now. But yeah, that event, that event was incredible. I mean, it was, um, I mean, we did, I mean, we did a lot. We did breath. We did guided stuff. I mean, we just fucking went off the rails and it was hilarious. I'll never forget Jen's little creepy hands. That still like yes, creepy. Yes.
1: Well, and that was the first event I've ever done. That was like the whole start. Like I had never gone to one before. Then I go to, so now I'm going to give you a plug because I go to your event and you have <laughs> yeah. people there. And I like, I met Alex Sharpton. I'm throwing some names, Brian Bogart, Jake Blanchard, yep. Natasha, Natasha has been on my podcast. Brian actually has that episode's not been released yet. And I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> I came back home and I talked to him. I'm like, it was like night and day. It's like the light bulb just clicked yeah. being in a room of like the people, like minded people. So George does have an event coming up. I believe it's in March. I don't remember exactly the date.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You're the only one with a ticket. I just want to kudos you because we're coming. But yes, we're still locking out the venue. We just logistically, the world right now, uh, all the flyover states, Montana being one of them, are getting affected mm-hmm. by airlines. So I can't do it in Montana in March. So we're moving it to Austin. So we're just locking in a venue. But it's the we- last the last week in Austin, last week in Austin, um, last week in March. Or oh, last in March. March. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure Austin. Mike last week, the last Austin. week in March <laughs> in Austin. And for anybody wondering the easiest way to get it is either DM Joe or DM me. And I will, and by the way, I mean this, I didn't send you to a website, like shoot me a fucking DM and be like, Hey man, I'm interested. I'm like, cool. What do you need? How can I help? And I will actually give yeah. you a resource. Um, the easiest place is my Instagram, which is it's George Bryant, I T S G E O R G E B R Y A N T. Um, But yeah, we, uh, we like to break the mold. Uh, My Mm -hmm. job is to help everybody win. And I was like, so I put on, in my opinion, an Olympic caliber event uh, for a Waffle House breakfast price, basically, is is what we're doing at this point. Um, And I love it. I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world. And the speakers that come are 50 to hundred K each keynote speakers that don't get paid and I don't pay and they don't sell because they're my friends and they believe mm-hmm. in the ethos. And, and we put these rooms together and I put this together so we can pour into the people to have a shared collaborative impact. And that's really what I thrive myself on. And we focus on kind of like mastering your time, mastering yourself and then mastering your customers in the journey you're going to put them on so that you become a walking superhero when you leave that room. And It's probably like that my events in the podcast are probably like two of the most proudest business accomplishments that I've ever had. And yet they have none of the accolades of any of the other stuff that you'd think I have my name on the wall for. And I'm like, nope, these are the ones that like don't pay me at all. And they're the ones I'm the proudest of. Like I would be okay if you put my podcast and my events on my headstone. Like I'm totally okay with that because if you put the amount of money generated, people start feeling (laughs) fucking bad for me because there'd be a negative sign on the front of it because it's a passion project for me and Mm -hmm. it's like it's a people thing and i have this ever steadfast belief that i do the work that i do outside of those to fund this because 10 years from now the impact will have a such a copious amount of abundance and impact and wealth that it's all that anybody will remember
1: but that goes back to who you are and about it being about people first you even mentioned the business that you invested in nine years before they you know Gave uh-huh. you some equity, but you no. weren't even doing it to get equity. Like, nope. it's because that's who you are. And that's going back to that whole genuine being accountable, having the relationship with yourself, doing the practices, stillness, walking, whatever you need to do, mm-hmm. and just be understanding you are your secret sauce.
0: Yes. And, and, and I'm going to call a spade a spade for everybody listening. You're going to get fucked over. I'm just going to say it. And here's the funny part about that is by acknowledging that you're going to get fucked over and coming from a place that we talk about, you never can get fucked over because nothing is outside of you. Yep. And I've been a part of billion dollar deals. Joe knows some of them. I've taken clients from a million a month to 2 million a day. And I had promises of equity and blank and blank. And I spit on it because that's how I do business. And I'm okay with that. And then it was taken away from me when they got $1.4 billion exit. But it never was taken away from me because it wasn't mine and I was okay with that. And it's funny because my wife was like, you're going to sleep okay tonight. I'm like, I'm going to sleep great. And she's like, good. Cause they're not, that's mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. And when you really, really think about it, it's that controlling the inputs. I want to pour into people, regardless of what happens on the other side. I want to pour into people, businesses, passion, because my name is everything. I want to ooze it. Like I want to make people feel insecure because I care so much it changes their chemistry to make them care more. And that's, that's kind of the game. And so I want to say it though, because living this way, speaking this way, having this ethos, building a business, building a life, and even in your life around this way, um, puts a giant target on your back. And the level of openness required from you makes you extremely vulnerable to the outside world, which is why the practices that we talked about are so important. But you also have to realize that that openness and your vulnerability is your secret sauce that has to remain that way for you to do this effectively. So know that you're going to trip and fall, that people are going to stumble. You're going to have your feet kicked out, but nobody can ever knock you down. Nobody. They think they can, but ultimately, every time you stand up and keep going the same way, you're guaranteed to win. And, and I, I, I want to wrap with this because of every profound teacher, and I've been blessed with some of the greatest in the world that are still on my phone. And I talk to you every day. One quote that I heard about six months ago from this one person changed everything for me. And I'm going to give this person credit, but I'm intentionally not saying this person's name because it would be very easy to dismiss. And the, the story was simple. He was on a podcast and was talking to somebody about like, yeah, well, you know, they wronged me. They stole from me. So I cut them out of my life, right? Like I, I protected myself. I had tight containers and tight boundaries. I cut them out. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you lost. Mm-hmm. And, he's like, oh, and he's like, help me explain this. And he's like, it's getting you like deep. And, it, and I'm going to give context. But he's like, you have to realize that the devil won because you changed. Yep. And it took me a long time. I probably watched this clip a hundred times minimum. And I started thinking about all the times in my life where I'm like, I'm helping people, I'm doing this. But the few that jaded me or edged me, and it changed me. It changed the lens in which I looked at the next person. It changed the frame and how I viewed that question. And I was like, it didn't change the people that hurt me or that I think I allowed to hurt me because they didn't really hurt me. And I was like, it changed me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh shit. And like, I went on like a month- on this i ended up in the jungle i was going so i like meditate on this for like eight days in the jungle and it blew my mind it was mike tyson who said it and mm-hmm. mike tyson is a massive massive intelligent connected human being and has wronged all of it i mean righted all of his wronged and does some deep work yeah but i really had to like sit and unpack that i've had people leave my events i've had people accuse me of fraud i've had people steal from me and it's really really funny I've never been affected by any of them. And the only ones I think about are the ones where I changed my behavior after the fact. Instead of staying truly in a to what it was and just having an honest conversation with myself. And it's gonna happen. It's mm-hmm. gonna happen, right? It's just the nature. I mean, I've done it intentionally, unintentionally, it's happening. And just coming back to who am I? Like, what is that foundation? Like, who am I? Like I tell everybody your success looks like a Christmas tree, right? That's what your business is gonna look like. But the most important part is the trunk because no matter how big your business gets, it always comes back to the trunk, even if it's tiny and skinny at the very tippy-tippy top. There's no tree without a trunk. Like, I don't care which way you splice it, right? And that trunk is knowing who you are, knowing who you want to help, and knowing how you help them and protecting that at all costs. And that means if you build your business by connecting and helping people, when you run out of time or feel like you can't, I don't care. You have to do it anyways. You have to figure out a way to do it because that's what your success has been predicated upon. And if you change it, it will run away from you and you will spend the rest of your life chasing it. And so that is the big core of like, if I'm going to connect to people connect, if I want to respond to comments, respond to them. And if you ever get to a point where you're like, I can't anymore, but you set that paradigm, you have to renegotiate that contract. You don't yep. get to just stop. Everything comes down to contracts, spoken, unspoken, and these negotiations. And so what I have found is, I've been pretty spot on in every ounce of my life and in my business and everyone that I ever touched that my principles are the same in all of them. And there are ones that it's easy to protect them in and other ones that are fucking challenging sometimes. But when I always find my way back there to find the humanity and the people, even the employee that told me they'd do this and it fucking lost us a hundred grand and they didn't. And I'm like, cool. But I didn't say that I was going to support them based on their results. Mm -hmm. I said I was going to support them based on them. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, got it. Where's the challenge in this for me? Like, how do I lead different? What do I communicate with? And it has never steered me wrong ever, 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 ever people over profit relationships over algorithms. Like you pick it. I can give you book recommendation, name drops, the go-giver, all of it. It is the only, in my opinion, guaranteed path to winning the lottery of entrepreneurship.
1: That, that is awesome. I agree 100%. And, and I appreciate having you on my show, my friend. Course, any man. any last parting words you want? I mean, we've gone a while. We've been spitballing for a while, which is great.
0: I like that one. I've never said that before. The only guaranteed path is that to winning the lottery of entrepreneurship. Because in my opinion, entrepreneurship is a lottery, right? It's a, it's a one in a million chance to launch a seven-figure business, an eight-figure business to hit the timing. But at the same time, the moment you realize it's a lottery that's predicated on people, and you pour into playing the right numbers, you're guaranteed to win. It's just a matter of when they pick your number. Yeah. And I think that's it. And, and, you know, you know for everybody here, I, I always like to end with this. Could have listened to the whole thing, could have remembered some of it, but something I said, something Joe said, something you heard, a thought that you had, something stuck out. It's probably pinned to the top of your forehead right now, like a sticky note on the inside of your brain. The only benefit to any of us is when you take it and you explore it and put it into practice, whether it's having a stillness practice, starting to breathe, just having more conversations. Your success is guaranteed when you own the input of what popped up today and you take immediate action on it. And you might have a list of a hundred pages of notes. Good, I don't care. Pick the number one thing and go act on that and go act on that and go act on that. And that's how this game is gonna be won. It's a practice, it's a repetition, it's a put it in and keep going. And so what I will say is this, thank you. Uh, I get paid to bump my gums, but I never assume that everybody likes to listen. And so if you are listening, it doesn't mean the world to me. I appreciate it. If I can help you in any way, I mean this, shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's George Bryant. Ask me a question. The more specific, the better, the more guidance I can give you. I can't help you if you don't ask. And I can't read your mind. And so let me help you by getting into my world. Check out my podcast. It's called The Mind of George Show. I'm going to have Joe on down the road as well. So you'll be able to listen to him over there as well. Uh, But check out my podcast. That's what I got. That's it.
1: Awesome. Thank you, my friend. And he does respond. I can vouch for it. I'm in your DMs a lot.
0: (laughs) You are, you are, you win the award for being the number one person in my DMs, even over my family, which is why you get so many hearts. Because I'm like, I see you, bro. I totally see you. I'm just going to keep hearting your stuff.
1: I try not to, but it's like you'll do love it. Like, and then don't I'm like, stop.
0: No, don't stop. I love it. Don't ever change who you are. It's it's a gift to the planet, my friend. I love it. It's amazing. It fills my bucket. And I'm like, if I'm ever down, all I have to do is go check my DMs because Joe's got fire icons at every one of my stories. I'm like, oh, I, I feel do. better now.
1: I do. Fire our hearts or love. Fire or... Our hearts, what
0: I'm here for, it, man. I'm here for all of it. Awesome.
1: Again, thank you for being on, my friend. And thank you. All- for listening to the 150K podcast, check George's show out. I listen to it every week. It drops Mondays and Fridays. It's the Mind of George show. Uh, check my show out. It drops on Tuesdays because I don't want to go out the same day as George's does. <laughs> and until next time, have an awesome thing. And check the event out. He mentioned it. DM me, DM George. We'll get you some information on it. I went to the last one. Totally changed my life. If you're an entrepreneur, sales professional, own a business, whatever, you need to be there. And Until next time. Have an awesome day.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the mind of George show